Sunday, May the 14th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Okay, we are still in our series, Walking with God. And you may remember way back, we used the Trinity as our stepping off point, that God invites us into relationship. Jesus prayed for us just before his death and resurrection. He prayed that we would be in him just as they are in each other. In other words, that we would join in this relationship that's at the heart of the universe. And we talked about the way that we join in, the way that we say yes to that invitation is to learn what it means to call God our our Father. And we also noted that there were difficulties and challenges about calling God our Father that we would need to face up to and overcome and, and surrender. And then we talked about faith and expectation and what it might mean to walk with God. Uh, and then I have a few other things I'm thinking that we're going to look at. And I got to Thursday and the same thing happened to me this Thursday that has probably happened to me almost every Thursday for the last 28 years. And that's, I'm not sure I've got anything to say. It's not funny. I tell you it's not funny. And it's as real as maybe it always has been. Isn't that sucky how doubt works? Anyone got their own kind of version of that? Clearly I've found something to say, even if it's been utter rubbish, I've found something to say. But in that moment of doubt, I go, this Sunday, it could all be over. You wish. And I say that because I just sense this morning there are, I don't know, maybe two or three people, not trying to be clever about it, who really need to hear that that doubt is real for all of us. And sometimes we can sit in that doubt and you might have been successful a million times. But you feel that doubt. And God wants to know he's with you. He's with you. He's with you. He gets it. He gets it. So there I am in my self-doubt. And in my sense of, I've got absolutely no idea. And then God gave me, just at the 11th beyond 11th hour, just like he does, three words. The first word is this. first word is this. Walking with God is a gift, is a gift. Today is about posture, I think. And the first word is gift. Walking with God is a gift. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For you've been saved by, what, grace? You've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the what? It's the, it's the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. It's a gift. And do you know what that means if it's a gift? Firstly, it means God did not need to give it. Just think about that for a moment. Sometimes I think God has to do God-like things because he's God. That he didn't really have a choice about dying or loving us or forgiving us because he's God. So he, he had to. Who told him what he had to do? If it's a gift, he was free to withhold it. 
And there is that moment in the Bible, it's just a few chapters in, after we've totally screwed up and it's all right to say, well, it was Eve and it was Adam, it wasn't us. It was all of us, wasn't it? You with me? That story is about all of us. And it says that God was what about all that he had made? What does it say? He was sorry. He grieved about all that he had made. In that revelation of God's heart was a choice. Was a choice. I'm grieved with what I, so what am I going to do? What, what am I going to do with what I've made? What would you have done? Put it in the bin. Had a tantrum. Well, for, we're grateful that Katie and Margaret aren't God. Anybody else? Well, well, if it's a gift, there was a choice. And sometimes I need to remind myself that God didn't have to do this for me. You with me? He chose to do it. No one made him. He could have walked away and created another world in a different way, in a different space. But he chose. It's a gift. And however terrifying that thought is, that God could have walked away, I think it's worth remembering that every now and again. Because once you become familiar with a gift, you're just familiar with it, aren't you? And you begin to take it for granted. Have you ever taken the fact that the God of heaven and earth invites you into a relationship even though you've screwed everything up. Have you ever taken that for granted? Come on, people. All of the time, every moment of every day. And so I'm saying, if I need to get my posture right, I need to understand that this is a gift. And and when Jesus talked about a gift, he says it's like this. You discover that the gift is in the field, and so you'll give everything. I mean, there's a bit of a mix of metaphors there, but you'll get, gain everything to, to get it. It's that precious. And the things with gifts is that there's always a price, isn't there? There are some people I know that turn the birthday card upside down straight away before they even read what's written inside it. Why do they do that? Do you do that, Nathan? Do, honestly, do you do that? Do you do, oh, I'm wondering how much they've put in for me. Or you have a gift that you're mildly appreciative of until you see it in a bucket clearance in the pound shop or something. You think, what? The price says something about The gift. And sometimes I forget about the price of the gift. Sometimes the cross is just so familiar that it rolls off my tongue and I don't really think about it. Sometimes it's horror and the wonder of it just passes me by. And so I take the gift for granted all over again. How many of you have had a gift that you've told the person, looked them in the eyes and thanked them for such a wonderful gift and thought, what on earth am I going to do with that? (laughs) Hmm. I thought so. We can reject gifts, can't we? Even if we look like we're receiving them. You with me? 
I'm going to look like I'm receiving this gift with great joy, but actually I'm not really bothered with it. And I'm going to hide it away and I'm going to put it in the black bag and it's going to go out to the jumble as soon as I can make that or whatever it is. I don't know about you, but I sometimes do that with God's gift. I kind of give the pretense of receiving it with great joy and yet I kind of just tuck it away a little bit. Not always sure what to do with it. And then sometimes I think we accept the gift, but on our terms. If you're going to give me that, God, then I need in some way to earn it. You can't earn a gift, can you? You can only receive it, and yet we try sometimes to earn it. God's given me this incredible invitation to live in relationship with him, and I'm thinking, well, I better try a bit harder to deserve it. I better strive a little bit more. I better do a little bit more Dewey-type, Christian-type things, because then I will perhaps feel a little bit better that it's not a gift that I somehow deserve it. Isn't that ridiculous that, we, that there's anything that we think we might be able to do that suggests that we deserve it? Jesus told a story about that, didn't he, which is quite penetrating. He said there was this guy who, um, who, who, was, who owed the king loads of money, a debt he could never possibly repay. And he pleaded that the king would let him off the debts. And the king said, I'm going to set you free. You don't need to pay these debts anymore. And he went out. And what did he do? He, he went after the tiny, inconsequential bits of money he was owed He wasn't receiving the forgiveness. He's thinking, if I can collect enough fivers from all these miserable people, then somehow I can earn the right to have been forgiven from the king. We can't earn diddly squats, can we? And we receive it as a gift. And sometimes receiving things as a gift is really tough. It's a hard posture because we want to feel that we have earned it and we deserve it. Quite a while ago now, Si and I, this Simon here and I were in a restaurant and we got to the point of paying and we went to pay and they said, someone's already paid for you. It was that Chinese place, you know, at the end of um, the temptations when you weren't sure whether you were eating a chicken or a rat. It kind of made the meal quite interesting. You know, it kept, kept it edgy. What do you do when you look around the restaurant and you think, well, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what? Well, we'd like to pay, really, because we feel a bit bad walking out without paying. But but you can't. If you've been given it, what, what, what can you do? We could pay twice. Jesus has died for everything. I could try and earn something, but it's totally ridiculous because Jesus has... What can you do other than just receive it? So if that was you, thank you very much. And we're at the Maharani a week on Thursday. <laughs> so how are you feeling about the gift today. Honestly. You see, there's two responses. There's your head response that goes flipping like I'm in church. I'm feeling great about it, Simon. I just love it. It's just such an amazing thing. Mm. What's your heart say this morning? Remember the head and the heart stuff. We'll be more alive when our heads and our hearts connect. What does your heart say about the gift? What word would you use this morning that honestly reveals something about the way your heart is feeling towards the gift? Humbled? 
grateful. And some of us will feel a bit apathetic about it. Doesn't mean we're not committed Christians and giving our lives to Jesus, but right now, a bit bit like, "Mm, yeah. How was your gratitude demonstrated this last week? Or how was your humility demonstrated this last week? As you think about the gift, what's your posture as you receive it today? Pause with me for a moment, would you? Thanks be to God, the Bible says, for his indescribable gift. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the God of the universe to fling stars into space? He was there at the beginning. Can you imagine the gift that he would come and say to you, I want to live with you and I want you to live with me. Can you imagine the enormity of a God who, in the midst of seven billion people today, says, I choose you today. Can you imagine that for all the emptiness and loneliness of the whole universe, God says, I want you to feel my presence today. To feel my presence today. What's your heart response? Tell God what you think. Tell God what you feel. Allow God to warm your heart again. To give us a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. A heart that feels it and knows it embraces it. A heart that's beating alive with the truth of it. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son. 
and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Second word, growth. Walking with God is a gift. It's also growth or a growth. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are what? Being tra- this is the plan. This is the journey. Are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not so much where you are today. It's more about where is the construction taking place. A construction site is quite energizing and quite expectant and quite hope-filled. And a, an abandoned site, a wasteland, is quite hopeless and deserted and depressing and, and empty. And sometimes in our spiritual lives, we can pull into a lay-by and we can stop journeying for all those reasons I talked about a few weeks ago about hurts and being disappointed with God and all of that stuff that we looked at when we thought about expectation. And we pull into a, into a lay-by. Of course, we don't mean to stop. We never, we never make a conscious decision I'm not going to grow anymore but then a day goes by and a week goes by and a month goes by and a year goes by and a a decade goes by and I think do you know what I'm not sure I've grown very much I'm not sure I've allowed the construction of God's image in me to take place very much I'm much the same as when I pulled into that lay-by and I never meant to stop but that's where I am There are parts of our lives where we live as if God doesn't exist. We live as atheists in part of our lives. We live with parts of our lives as if God can't touch it, deal with it, help us, isn't present in it. The Bible calls it a divided heart. That's the word the Bible or the NIV tends to use as the translation for it, a a divided heart heart. It's a, it's a heart that is given to Jesus, given over and surrendered, of course, but it's also a divided heart because part of our hearts are held back. There are places and spaces that we haven't given to God and we're not even sure we want to give them to God. There are hurts and wounds and disappointments and regrets that actually we'd rather just hold tightly to because it's easier to be frustrated and angry than to give them to God and to work that through. And so we, we have this duplicity with, within us. And David talks about it. He says, teach me your ways and and give me a what? Which implies he didn't have one. And he was the man after God's own heart. And he's he's praying this prayer. He says, I I realize that my heart is divided. And a kingdom divided against itself. What happens? Jesus talked about that. Can't stand. 
And we wonder sometimes where our resilience has gone. Why does our resilience go through the floor? It's because our hearts are divided and a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Jesus made that very clear. So there are parts of our hearts that are divided. And David prays this prayer, give me an undivided heart. There's a wonderful chapter in John Eldridge's book called Resilient or Resilient, Resilience, Resilient, something like that. R-E-S into Google, get what you want. Resilient something. And he talks about the way that our hearts, I don't think he uses this language, but he does talk about the way that our hearts are divided. There's this, there are places, what he says, the word he uses, he says there, there are unconverted places in our hearts, which is quite a terrifying thought, isn't it, for those of us that want to be solidly converted. Are you born again? I hope so. But there are parts of us that aren't quite living in the fullness of that, that are kind of stuck. And he talks about these unconverted places. And he begins to ruminate in his book about what happens when he sees or when those unconverted places come to the fore. This is what he writes. He says, this is what I found myself praying. I've been a Christian for almost five decades. I know I'm secure in God's love. Tick. I know I'm forgiven. Tick. But I cringe when these unconverted places surface in me. I don't merely want to be forgiven. I want to be truly saved, meaning permeated by Christ. This is how it typically happens, he says. The bitterness or lust or whatever has just shown up. And in that moment, I pray for the salvation that is truly salvation. And I ask that this part of me is utterly converted too. Let's take it step by step. So what are you saying? He said, there are times in my life when I notice that my actions are revealing something in my heart that is against what I want and what I know to be true. So I've given my heart to Jesus, but part of my heart is not responding in that way at all. What do I do? But there's also a step before that. Because we can often behave in ways that reveal that our hearts are divided and we've become so used to it, we don't even recognize it. You know, you can you can have a, a behavioral trait that you're not even aware of yourself as a problem anymore because you've become so used to it. Is there something that you do that you're so familiar with you no longer see it as a problem? I almost, I almost guarantee the people around you will see it as a problem even if you don't. So maybe ask them. Eat your lunch first and do some washing up in case it gets thrown at you. But then maybe have that conversation. Because, because we become so familiar. So, and David understood that. He not only understood that his heart was divided and he needed to fix that. He understood there were times in his life when he didn't even, couldn't even see where those divisions were taking place. And at the end of Psalm 139, he, he, he says this prayer. What, what is it? That's Psalm 51. Good shout. 139. He says, search me, O God, because I can't see what's wrong with me. And then he prays. It comes out of that exact same space, Margaret. And then he prays about creating me a clean heart because I, 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 I've just lost the plot here. I can't, I can't see it. So, so he, he, he recognizes that there are behaviors that are going on in his life that he can't even see. And we know that's true because Nathan the prophet had to point out some behaviors in him, didn't he? About his adultery that he hadn't even seen was a problem. And that's, that led to that absolute prayer, Psalm 51. So he's saying, David, the king, after God's own heart, who's probably kind of wrote all the Psalms and the worship stuff, he was right up there as a Christian celebrity, he kind of gets all that stuff. 
He goes, I, I, here I am, and, I, and I, I don't even know sometimes what's wrong within my heart. And he says, search me, O God, and see if there's any offensive way uh, within me. So, so John Aldridge is talking about when he recognizes it. I think there are moments when we don't even recognize it, and we have to pray the prayer, Lord, help me to see. And then he says, now there's a step, oh, that's me, there's a step before that. Then he says, let's take it step by step. So, so we've prayed the prayer. We recognize there are things in our hearts that are, that are, are, are divided, and uh, we need Jesus to fix those things. And this is what he says. When it emerges, when you see it, when you know it, when you feel it, for all the horror of what that might feel like, don't run, don't hide, you've been exposed. The instinctual response is to put a fig leaf over it. That won't help. Stay with the exposure. You need Christ right here. Enter the unconverted place. By this I mean you go there, feel it, open it to the light of day. This is a part of you, so walk right into the middle of it. You want to open the door of this fragment to Christ, and the door opens from the inside. And then he describes it. Okay, Jesus, here I am. Hateful, lustful, resentful, whatever it is. I see it. I feel it. Now, I open this part of me to you, Lord. Save me here. Asking for Jesus to save you here is far more than simply I'm sorry. You're not merely apologizing and promise to do better. That doesn't work. You're seeking for this place to be united with Jesus Christ and therefore in his care and able to receive his recreation. Oh, Jesus, save me here. I surrender this unconverted place in me to you, to your indwelling presence. Unite with me here. Permeate me here. I pray to be completely converted here. Then pause. Ask Jesus what is needed. Is there angry defiance that needs to be released? Does something need to be surrendered here? You need to be right or get, you'll need to be right or get even your self-comforters, meaning your addictions. Jesus, what else is needed? Show me how to cooperate with you. Jesus, unite with every part of me. That is not yet united with you. Integrate my entire being into one whole person united with you. I pray for complete union with you throughout my being. For you alone are my salvation. And I ask you for the salvation that is truly salvation right here. I ask for your holiness here in your name. That's the journey. That's what it means to walk ever closer with Jesus. Some of you will have heard all of that in a very different culture and context when you read the Calvary Road. Who read the Calvary Road? You, you need to be at least... I can't say it now. Kerry put her hand up. I was about to say you need to be at least 50 to have read it. So we're both in. You and me, lovely. When he wrote about the divided heart and the letting Jesus into those unconverted places in different kind of culture and context and language. But that's the journey. And I guess more useful to us than for me to spend the next five or ten minutes talking more about that journey would be for us to go on that journey together. And instinctively, I want to say, well, there's nothing divided in my heart. 
And so the letter of John, just towards the end of the Bible, it says, if you think there's no deceit in you, you're a what? You're a liar. That's not great, is it? But I'd like to say that. I'd like to say, hey, there's no deceit in me. There's no, un- no undiv- uh, undivided heart in me. I make myself out to be a liar. John wrote, and the truth, the fullness of the truth is not in you. So would you pause with me for a moment? And you can, you can tune out or you can tune in. It's, it's a choice in this moment. Just an invitation right now. When I was talking earlier about all that self-doubt and God giving me these words, that all of this just kind of came as a gift for this moment. And so I, I offer it to you in that spirit that maybe, maybe there are some significant things that God has for us today in, in this space, in this moment. And maybe you don't even need to pray that prayer, search me, O God, and see what's in me because I can't see it. Maybe you know exactly what it is right now, where your heart's divided, where the kingdom can't stand because it's divided against itself. Maybe you know exactly what that is. And we choose to go on that journey, not to cover it up, to run away, to hide away, to put a fig leaf over it, all the stuff that we are taught through the early stories of Adam and Eve, how we respond to sin and shame and guilt. But but we're just real about it. This is true. I take ownership of it. Not in a, I'm overwhelmed and condemned. The Spirit of God doesn't condemn us. But in a real way of, I know Jesus wants to and I know I need his rescue of me here. And just invite Jesus in. There are no right words and wrong words. Just invite Jesus in. I give you this part of my heart. I surrender this unconverted place to you now. I invite the indwelling of your presence to permeate this part of my hard, stubborn, unbelieving heart. I invite you in. I open up the door to that space where I've kept you out, I invite you in. And just listen to what he says. What needs dealing with? An attitude that needs surrendering. A hurt that needs healing. A responsibility that needs accepting. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come now.
all the feelings that you just wish weren't there. Don't run or hide. Give them to Jesus today. You say, how do I, how do, I do that? Just, just say, Lord, I'm giving them to you. I, I, I'm owning them and I, I ask, invite you into that space. He knows how to fix us. He knows what we need. Jesus. Jesus. We're going to move on in just a moment, but just uh, we're just going to have a minute. It's quiet. So just, just capture where, where you are with Jesus. There may be something you need to go back to, something you'll need to process, someone that you'll need to talk to, something you'll need to do. But we believe together that God is at work. And so just pray for the people around you if you're if you've got yourself straight for a minute and you, you can lay that down to pick it up a bit later, just pray for those around you. Just thank God for them. He knows what he's doing. Just bless him for what he's doing. Thank you, Lord. This is the way of life to which we've been called. Sounded like a marriage for a moment then, didn't it? But th- this is the way, this is what sanctification is. You've heard people talk about that. It's what, what it is to, to be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And we can make dealing with our mess a big deal. And the bigger of a deal we make it, the less likely we are to deal with it. Or we can make the death and resurrection of Jesus a really big deal, which means my mess is relatively small in comparison to his ability to fix it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that it's small and it's insignificant, but his ability to fix it is so much greater than the mess that I've made. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Is it feeling a bit heavy in here now? Just raise your hand for a moment if you felt God was up to something. In the last five or ten minutes. Great. Isn't that encouraging? Super. Great. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, third word. You wouldn't want to be shortchanged, would you? Third word. Walking with God is a guarantee. When you believed you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Who's bought something in John Lewis because of the two-year guarantee? We suckers for a guarantee. It's likely to go wrong in the first few months. And if it doesn't, it'll probably go on way after the two years. We're all suckers. I've done that as well. We love a guarantee, don't we? 
We have so much confidence in this new product that I am being given that I ask the people who I'm buying it off, what's the guarantee? Because I want to make sure that I don't need to live with the anxiety of it breaking or me not having it. There is an invitation to live with a permanent guarantee. To live in the light of the peace and the presence that that gives us by having the ultimate stress of the journey taken away. Because if you're not quite sure where you're going or whether there's any guarantee about what happens when you get there, the journey becomes quite stressful. About 35 years ago, my mum did something that was uncharacteristic for her. In Wales, it's easy to keep up with the Joneses because there's loads of them. So you can always find a Jones that's not as good as you to keep up with. So we were taught to resist as children, keeping up with the Joneses. But one day, my mum listened to a neighbour of ours who said, do you know what, driving in Europe is a piece of cake. You don't need to plan anything. You just get in your car and off you go. And when you want to stop for the rest of the day, for the evening, there are plenty of hotels and places to stay. It'll be no problem. We would you to go to Switzerland that summer. And my mum said, we'll try that. My dad did something quite uncharacteristic as well. He said, okay. And so I'm let loose in Europe with two parents who are living very out of character right now. I'm nervous, and I should have been, because a couple of hours after getting off the ferry and it's beginning to get dark and we're all starving hungry, we pull into the wonderful twin town of Ipswich named Arras. Who knew? I didn't know Arras back then. I certainly didn't know Ipswich back then. But we pulled into the town of Arras, where we'd been led to believe by our neighbour it would be pipsqueak to find somewhere wonderful to stay. First hotel, little French man, sang person, five people. No, 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 monsieur, no, 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 monsieur. That's all right, there'll be plenty of others. In the end, my dad was going around, sang person, you know, like you do in France, if you use a French accent, it all sounds good. Is that visa? No, no, monsieur, no, monsieur. It's getting dark now. We, we could eat one another, we're so hungry. What are, what are we going to do? And then there was a pub, which was quite a challenge for a teetotal family. It was the OK pub. There was nothing OK about this pub. But we were desperate by now, so we went into the OK pub, and they said, we have one room. You're welcome to it. We're five people. They didn't care. This is the OK pub. It didn't, I, there was hardly any beds in the room. But nevertheless, we could stay in this pub for the night. So that's exactly what we did, having had, uh, I don't know, some nasty food from this pub to eat. We woke up in the morning, brightness of a new day, looked out of the window to discover that the car that we parked in the beautiful, spacious town square was now what? In a French town completely surrounded by the market. And it was only 7.30 in the morning. So far, our holiday has got off to a blazing start in all kinds of ways. And that's just the emotions of it all. Eventually, we got the car out. 
But can you imagine the tension in our journey? We've still got two more days to go, arriving in two other towns where it'll be absolutely pipsqueak to find a hotel for five of us. The anxiety was palpable. And whether people acknowledge it or not, that level of anxiety simmers so often. I see it time and time again in all kinds of circumstances, just below the surface, because they're not sure about the destination and how it will work out. Because that creates an anchor for the journey. And if that anchor isn't there, we live with levels of uncertainty. And so Jesus uh, described it like this. He, he understood how they created security in the Middle East in his day. How, how did they do that? They didn't have booking.com or Airbnb. By the way, by the way, if you've got somewhere booked with Airbnb, we were with some people just last summer who had their Airbnb cancelled with 20 minutes before check-in. So don't feel secure about your Airbnb booking. So just chill out. Nothing's guaranteed. You heard it here first. Don't be surprised. Where am I going with that? What on earth am I talking about? I've got no idea right now. Jesus understood what they did in the Middle East because he lived in that culture. What do they do? How do they live with security on their journeys? They were absolutely welcomed by a stranger. And to be confident that there would be a stranger that would welcome them, who knows what they would do? Absolutely, Francis, absolutely on the money. They would send someone on ahead to make sure there was a place. Because when you were traveling in the Middle East, you had all your baggage, you had all the family and the kids and everything else, and you couldn't move very far. So you'd send someone to go on ahead. And make sure there was a place for you when you arrived. And Jesus said this beautiful thing, didn't he? What did he say to his disciples? He said, I'm going on ahead. I'm going on ahead to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come back. I'll come back and and, and reassure you. I'll, I'll come back from the dead and I'll reassure you that there's a place for you so you can journey this day with utter confidence to Arras or anywhere else that there will be a place for you. It's a beautiful picture that takes out all the anxiety. How much are you living in the confidence of this guarantee? There was a a beautiful moment. This, this is in the public domain. There was a beautiful moment this last week in uh, the middle of uh, Daphne's funeral service here. And uh, Linda, her niece, was talking about Daphne's journal. And she was talking about, well, she was sharing what Daphne had written in her journal shortly after Jack, her husband, had died after 48 years. And she's doing what all of us need to do in those moments. She's trying to figure it out. She knows with all her heart that she believes in Jesus. And she believes that life's safe because of him. And yet in her grief, in her sadness, in her sense of loss, waves of doubt, which is why I mentioned doubt at the beginning, waves of doubt are coming over her. You know what that's like, don't you? Yeah, You believe it with all your heart, but suddenly I'm not sure I do. And she's doing what all of us need to learn to do. She's journaling. And she's journaling her thoughts and her feelings. And she's allowing the truth of what she knows to rise to the surface. So that she could live the rest of her life 
with that sense of anchor and guarantee. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's the invitation for all of us in the midst of waves of doubt to know that someone has gone ahead of us and there is a place and he's come back that we can live with confidence. Now that's a beautiful thing. So think about these postures with me about what it means to walk with God. It's a gift. It's a gift. Go home today more grateful for the gift. I'm going to try. Try with me. Go home more open to the beauty of the gift. Go home today more determined that there is division in my heart, but it doesn't need to stay like that. It doesn't need to stay like that. And go home more confident today that there's a guarantee that in all the waves of doubt, there is a hope that's certain. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We're going to pause for some moments. The band's going to come. Let's stand. We're choosing to say more than anything else in this life, we want to learn to walk with you. But it's what makes sense of everything. It's the greatest invitation on earth, the greatest gift we could ever have imagined. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in your presence forever and ever. I love you, Lord.